I'll just wait for those guys to come back in. Hopefully you can see me. Um, hopefully you've got a Bible in your hand. If you haven't got a Bible, we've got some up here um, you can use. And uh, it's so good just to be back in Carrington Wood and to be worshipping with you again. I thought you did fantastically well there. I thought Megan was excellent, Ashley was excellent. And just coming in gently, just sort of building in gently to a, a start of a weekend where you can join up, relax, and you can kind of just go, ah, I'm here, I'm away at Carrington Wood. Um, I'll just wait for them to come back. But I'll introduce the theme uh, tonight. That's all I'm going to do, really, um, for this weekend. Uh, I'm going to talk about love in action, and I'm going to talk about the ultimate example of love in action. Um, and in a moment, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy called John. And the guy called John that I'm going to talk about was one of Jesus' disciples. He went on to be an apostle. Um, by the way, can you see me, or is this like, am I just like a silhouette to most of you? You did. I can see it. I did. Yeah, well, I think you did. All right, I'll stand a little bit forward. But uh, this guy, John, disciple of Jesus, uh, went on to be an apostle, and uh, his life was recorded. Um, there's parts of it in the Bible you can read about, but there are also parts of it in, uh, in history you can read about. And I'm going to read you a story that was recorded by Eusebius, and it's a true story, and Eusebius is a historian. And uh, John enough, wrote the book of 1 John, uh, whoa. and uh, I'm going to quote him from there in a little while, but I just want to tell you um, about how he went on uh, to, to sort of live his life as a follower of Jesus, and when he writes 1 John, he's an old man, and he's the kind of old man that I want to be, because at this point in his life, there is only one thing that matters to him, to go and tell people about Jesus and disciple them, so that they would be loved in action, just like Jesus was. And the story that Eusebius recorded isn't in the Bible, but it is in recorded history. And it, it goes like this. John uh, was in a town and he had brought a young man to Christ. He had won him over to Christ. He'd seen him go from someone who wasn't a believer to becoming a believer. And then he'd begun to disciple this young man. And uh, John then decided to go on a trip to different towns and then come back again at a later time. And he said to the bishop in that town at the time, take care of that young man until I get back. So he goes off on his journey to other towns, and when he returns, he asks the bishop about the young man. And the bishop goes, oh, he's dead. And uh, he said to him, he's dead. He's dead to God. He slipped back into his old life again. He's gone back to a life of crime. He's joined his buddies, and he now lives up in the mountains, and uh, they're a band of robbers, and essentially they rob anyone who goes up there, or they just murder them, and that's that. And so at this point, John hears the news, and according to Eusebius, he ripped his cloak in half. And I don't know if anyone has ever been that upset that your football team has lost a match, or someone missed a penalty, or something worse, uh, and you rip your clothes because you're so upset. Well, John is so torn up with grief that he tears his clothes and says, Bring me a horse! And so they do, and John gets on the horse, and he goes up the mountains, and lo and behold, the robbers catch him and take him hostage. And he says, it's okay, I want to be captured, take me to your leaders, take me to your judgment seat, and they do. They take him up to where their leaders are, and guess who's sitting there? It's the young man that John discipled a while ago, and immediately the young man recognises him, turns around and runs away to the opposite direction. And what does John do? He runs after him. And at that point, it says in his record, at that point, 
The young man, though armed, turned and fled. John runs after him and said, Why flee from me? I'm an old, unarmed man. Don't you see there's still hope of life for you? I'll gladly suffer death for you as the Lord suffered death for us. I'll give my own life in exchange for yours. Stop, listen, trust me. Hearing these words, the man stopped, hurled away his weapon and began to weep bitterly and then came back down the mountain with John at his side. That's why I want to be a guy like John when I'm old. No comments. Uh, because he loves Lord Jesus so much that he's willing to go and replicate what he did in his life with his own. He's willing to go and give up his own life to serve someone else. And if you knew a guy like John, then you'd probably ask him, man, where do you get those stones? Where do you get the guts to do that, John? Where do you get the freedom, the confidence, the courage? And John, thankfully, has written a letter called 1 John, which explains just that. In 1 John, if you get a chance to read it this weekend, it's quite short. It says uh, that we have fellowship with God. That you can know the eternal God, and not just like know about him, you can know his presence of his glory in your heart and in your soul. And if you know God, you have this impregnable, unassailable joy that nothing can take away from you. And if you have this, then you can face anything. Exams, relationship breakdowns, battles, wars, challenges, anything. And these are the words of an old man called John. Because he knows this. And in this letter, there's fantastic moments where he just explodes into exclamation of how well he knows it. You get that sense from it um, of how it is just rooted into his soul. Now I was going to do three points, but I'm not going to do three as it turns out, I'm going to do two. And the first point is this, that you can know how much God loves you. And the last point is this, that Jesus is the ultimate example of love in action, which is our theme this weekend. So point one, you can know that God, how much God loves you. Let's break it down a little bit. How do you know that people love you? Well, there's different ways. There's a book, a famous book called Five Love Languages, and it explains them all, different ways of being loved and there's even different dialects within these loves but there's words of affirmation you might love it when people encourage you and feel really built up when that happens or maybe when someone gives you a hug a physical touch you you feel loved and that's how you receive it or maybe it's when you hang out with your good mate you spend quality time with them or one of your family or perhaps it's when someone gives you a gift uh, they might have handmade it uh, or they might have bought it for you but just the fact they thought of you when they saw it even if it's really ugly they got it for you because they love you. And you receive that and you love that. It makes you feel loved. Or lastly, acts of service, doing stuff for people. My dad is an acts of service guy. He loves it if I do something for him without him asking, like washing the car. So you can experience love through all of these ways, giving and receiving, but they're limited, aren't they? Because there are ways that human beings are limited that God is not. And we might have to strive to love other people, but... God's not like us. He's different from us. The love provided through the things I mentioned there might make you feel loved for a time, but we're kind of leaky humans, aren't we, in a way? We, we let out love as well as laying it in, and it's like we need to top up sometimes if we don't feel love. So how is God's love different to this? Well, his love surpasses your feelings. When you believe the truth that God 
loves you, you may not feel anything, but the power of the truth is unshakable. So how do you know God loves you? Well, he has proven it to us. Now words are very important to some people, but particularly important to Sophie, uh, my wife. And she turned around to me the other day and said, where in the Bible does God say, I love you? And I was a bit indignant and felt like it was a very irreverent question and she shouldn't have even asked it in the first place for a short time. And then I kind of relaxed a bit and decided to investigate. And I discovered that, among other places, um, although this is the only explicit one, Isaiah 43 verse 4, God says this about Israel, his people, which expands to us. He says, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. He actually says the words, I love you. And words can be important for some people. So God says it. He uses words to prove he loves us. You only have to read the Bible to find that out. You might be wondering about the physical kind of thing. Well, how does God show that he heals us physically? Uh, Sorry, how does he love us physically? Well, by healing. Someone asked for healing. Well, hallelujah. Amen. We want some healing uh, over this weekend. If you've got a condition or a problem or something, let's go for that because we believe God can do it. And he's done it in his word. We've read about it. He's done it for me. He fixed my back about three years ago as well. And Jesus, if you read about him in the Gospels, he goes around physically healing people as well. And Jesus came to earth physically. If you ever are wondering that, was he a real person? Was he around? Well, on the Alpha course we're doing at church at the moment, we learned that he was a real person, that he came to earth. Historians in the Bible and outside the Bible record his existence. He physically came to earth. And he's God, remember. He had no... uh, no necessity to come to earth, but he chose to. He wanted to. So he heals us. He's come to earth himself. He's gone through everything you've gone through. If you're ever feeling some kind of emotion, good or bad, he's experienced it. He's been human like you in that sense. Now, what about quality time? Well, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you actually receive more than you probably bargained for. You receive not only eternal life, eternal joy, but also a relationship with God. And he loves to spend time with his children. He loves to spend time with them and hang out with them. And I remember learning about quiet times. Who who has had a quiet time before? A time where you, in the bath, yeah, why not? Uh, And it's a time where you spend time with God. It's quality time with him, reading the Bible, worshipping, praying, whichever one it might be. I remember learning about it. And I remember... Uh, to start with, not really being able to get my head about how someone who I can't see wants to spend time with me, and yet, when I chose to put the time aside, I felt his presence. I knew he was near, and I heard him speaking. And God never gets tired of hanging out with you. That's why it's so great that you come on this weekend, because he's like, yes, I get a weekend to spend with Hector. I get a weekend to spend with Nathan and Bridgie and Amy. I get to spend the weekend with them. They're close. They're listening out for me. They're here. They've chosen to come. I'm so excited about that. He loves quality time with you. And he'll hang out with you as long as you can keep your eyes open. That's why it's great when Ashley does 24-7 prayer with her team. Because people can literally go to a room where they can step into God's presence and he'll be there as long as you want to be there with you. And he'll even be there when you fall asleep. But he'll hang out with you for as long as you want. What about gifts? Well... The Father has proven his love to us through giving us gifts and talents. All the unique circumstances you've been through up until this time, 
our gifts from God, the things you learn from your brothers and sisters, friends, relatives, the talents you might have, musical or drawing or in, in any kind of talent you can think of. That is given to you by God. That's a gift. He made you you. He made you unique. However, you are not God's gift to mankind. I have to remind myself of this quite often. <coughs> Jesus is. Jesus was God's gift to us. Because he made a way for us to have another gift. The gift of eternal life. And just shortly, an abstract question for you. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? If not, then you need to receive the gift of eternal life. Because the opposite of that is unbearable to think about. And by putting your faith in Jesus, you can receive the gift of eternal life. Or face the consequence of not making a decision which would be separation from him. It's quite a stunning thought to think that that gift is on offer. But it's up to us whether we take that amazing eternal gift or not. And lastly, let's just look at how Jesus loved us through acts of service. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He hung out with the sick, the rejected, the lost. He even washed his disciples' smelly, muddy feet. And you might remember our impact uh, a while ago, might have been in the summer. We did that, and we were like, guys, we've got water, and we've got uh, brushes, and we've got towels, we're going to wash your feet. And everyone was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and literally none of you moved. You, you were still, and I was like, okay. And <laughs> I go get my feet washed. And I actually washed my feet, and it did, it did tickle. And she was brave, uh, which was good. But Jesus did that for people who had much worse feet than you. I can tell you. They've been walking through dust and muck and that all day long. And yet Jesus knelt down, the Son of God, the Holy One, lowered himself and washed their feet. He gave that act of service. But of course, Jesus' greatest act of service is explained by John in 1 John 3.16a. And when we were starting to think about Carrie Wood and praying together, this came up right away. And I thought, there's no way I can't use this. Uh, to start us off on this weekend. John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And that's Jesus. John knows what love is thanks to Jesus. He doesn't feel it one day and it's gone the next. He knows it deep in his being. He knows the truth. And earlier in the same chapter of his letter there, he proves it by exploding into this expression of love when he says in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Can you read that sentence in 1 John tonight and go, yes, that's what we are. Well, if you can't, then maybe you would like to step into a place where you can say that, because that is on offer to you tonight as well. And John explodes. He He's in this position, this wonderful position, again, which I, I long to be in more often than I am, when truth just overflows through all the rest of him. And it's when you, you don't know what's what, but you know that it's true, and you know that you can't do anything else to hold it inside. You just let it burst out. You can't contain yourself because you know how loved you are. And it's why he says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He's just too excited to contain it in himself. When truth goes through you and through your life like a lightning bolt through a lightning rod, you can't help but burst into spontaneous praise and joy. 
Receiving the truth that God loves you is a moment like that, when you go from understanding God's love to becoming it, to it becoming something you can stand under. Standing under the love of God, protected from all else, not caring what comes at you because you are loved is exactly where he wants you to be, so that you explode when someone strikes a chord and you go, it's king of my heart, I'm going to sing it, and you sing it as loud as you can. And we'll explore how you get to that point, perhaps in a few minutes. But point one is this, you can know God loves you. Let me try and turn the page here. Last point is this, that Jesus is the ultimate example of love in action. He's the one we are to model ourselves on. He's the one that we need to all become more like through discipleship, through those quiet times I mentioned, through those things he's given us to do, works of service. If we want to get our heads and hearts around exactly how much God loves us, we need to look no further than his sacrificial life. His death and his burial and his resurrection, they all point to the ultimate example of love in action. Now, for anyone who doesn't know this or might have heard it so many times and it's just washed over you, I want you to listen up. I want you to hear this again. I want you to remember the good news of the gospel. I want you to sink in. So you can grab hold of it for yourself. Jesus is God's son. There at the beginning of the world. There before anything was made and now reigning in heaven. And him being God, well, he created us human beings who at the very start messed it up by choosing to disobey him. Choosing to go against him. Allowing sin into the world. Which does all sorts of harmful stuff. Horrible stuff it pollutes us it has power over us it contaminates us so that we're broken and feel pain and anguish that's what sin does and if you could get your head around the doctrine of sin um well you just realize how repulsive it is to god and how much it drives him away from us and everyone does it we've all sinned in the past we'll all sin in the future you might have even committed a sin today something that you knew was wrong but our God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you and you to know him. So what does he do? He loves us by sending his son, Jesus, his only son, to come and live a life that you and I couldn't live. A perfect, sinless life. Only so that he could lay it down on a cross, choose to go to a cross and take upon himself everything that we've ever done, thought or said that was wrong. And he did it to save us. On the cross, the weight of the world's sin was placed on Jesus, placed on him. And he died there after flogging, abuse, humiliation, with nails in his hands and feet and a spear thrust through his side to make sure he was dead. And he did it for you. He saw you and chose to die on that cross, even though he was innocent. Even though he had done nothing wrong. Then he was buried in a rich man's tomb, and the stone rolled across the entrance. And at that point, all hope seemed lost. All seemed lost. Then three days later, he rose to glorious life and appeared in his resurrection body to over 500 people. You might remember Mike Pilavachi talking about the guys on the road to Emmaus and uh, him laughing at how someone stopped to count the fish. The resurrected Jesus is right there in front of them and yet they can't help but count the fish to make sure they get the right number to write down in the scriptures. 
But after conquering our sin and death and leaving the grave behind with that in it, Jesus spent time with his disciples before ascending to heaven. This is love in action. This is Jesus showing us how much he loves us by laying down his life. And it's what spurs us on. It's what spurred John on. This act of love. The greatest moment in history, the source of love for others. I could go on and on. I could tell you the story about Simon and the Pharisee, but we don't have time. He says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. And we need to recognise right now whether we still need forgiveness whether we need to get grateful, whether we need to get to a point of thankfulness for being forgiven. How will you respond to the good news? How will you respond to this news that you can be free from sin forevermore and filled with God's love? And when I was writing this, I, I got in mind uh, a poem and I just started writing it, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, because I took the phrase that John had at the very start, by this we know. And if there's anything I want for you on this weekend, it's so, not, it's so that you don't just feel like you're loved by God, but that you would know you are loved by God, so that you would be able to go and love others without even thinking about it, without even trying, without even feeling any effort whatsoever. By this, we know. By this, we know love and how it moves us, not to destroy us or confuse us, but to demonstrate in deed and truth that which cleaves us clean beyond reproof. That which shows us the Saviour's love. That which gives us hope. By this we know that we can be courageous, confident, beyond our means. By this we know we have naught to lose. If only we'll repent and choose. To receive forgiveness for our sin. To surrender thoughts of what we did and where we've been. To submit to, wildly, a greater one. A wider, deeper, higher Holy Father. To stop the striving and impressing. To start from scratch and with a clean slate sing. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's love? But it was me who caused his pain. Who gains redemption from his blood. By this we know. And should not depart before analysing our own heart. By this you know. Jesus knocks at the door. Through him you can have life. Life forevermore. And it's amazing how God can speak in a moment. And you might be experiencing that moment right now. So I'm going to invite you just to stand up where you are. You don't need to rustle or move. You can just stand. That would be great. Sorry if you're falling asleep. You'll fall asleep in a minute. <laughs> and uh, just where you are... In your little bit of space, just close your eyes for a moment. We're about to finish, so don't worry. Um, I'm not going to go on for long. But you can choose how to respond to this sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And I want to invite you this weekend to open your heart. If you were saved a long time ago, hallelujah. If you were saved a long time ago, but you feel like you're just not as close to God as you were and you want to be, then you can be once again. And... If you've never put your faith in Jesus before and you want to know God's love and you want freedom from this disgusting sin, this guilt, this shame which has bound itself to you over the years, then I want to give you that opportunity to do that tonight. Because I know God loves you and I know he would love you too, but he's never going to force you to do that. He's always going to allow you to choose. So shut your eyes where you are. That'd be great. No one looking around. 
So close your eyes, that'd be great. Thank you. Just pause for a minute. Analyse your own heart. Think for a moment, where am I? Where am I in relation to God? And if you want to put your faith in Jesus tonight, if you want to cry out to him for forgiveness, for salvation, then uh, just bearing in mind, everyone's eyes are closed. Why don't you just put your hand up now? My eyes are the only ones open. If you want to put your faith in him tonight, then put your hand up right now and I'll, uh, I'll pray with you. You can put your hands down. That's okay. If you want to invite Jesus into your heart tonight, why don't you pray uh, a prayer like this in your own mind or in your own heart to Him? Don't pray it because I'm praying it. Pray it because you want to pray it to Him. And I'll just speak slowly so that you can repeat it. Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the sins I have committed against you and against other people. Thank you that you came to die for me on that cross. Thank you that you took all my sin, past, present and future. Please come into my life now by your Holy Spirit and fill me up so that I too might reflect love in action with my life. I want to give you glory. I love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.